forever. Dog. On today's episode of Weekend at Bergman's, I love this dirty town. Or as John Travolta puts it so memorably in the opening scene of the 2018 Kevin Connolly directed biopic Gotti. Let me tell you something. New York is the greatest fucking city in the world. That's right, we're watching two films about the Big Apple. The ups and downs, the back alleys and the boardrooms. One day you're living in a penthouse on Park Avenue, the next day you're dead in a ditch on the side of the Long Island Expressway. But that's life in the big city. Representing the art house, it's 1957's endlessly quotable Sweet Smell of Success, starring Burt Lancaster and Tony Curtis. And representing the mainstream, it's the 1987 Michael J. Fox vehicle, The Secret of My Success. Joe, are you ready? Hey, I'm podcasting here. Tom, are you ready? Uh, yeah, yeah, I am ready. Then roll that theme song. Sing along if you know it. We can just kind of cut it. Every week, you and I watch two movies together. Well, not quite together, because we watch them apart. You at your houses and me at mine. Whoa, every week, we watch the same two movies. The cat's in the bag and the bag's in the river. But how do we choose these two movies? Well, one is a brilliant, beautiful work of cinematic art to the height of the medium, and the other one is mainstream. I'm talking popcorn, baby, Hollywood endings, but what happens when we watch them back to back and have to say which one we like better and we have to be honest welcome welcome to weekend at bergman's we're gonna watch an art house movie and a mainstream movie and we're gonna say which one we like better and the one that we like better is gonna go into the canon and the one that we did not like as much is gonna go into the trash canon and we the three of us are never allowed to watch it again for the rest of our lives. That's the premise of this podcast. My name is Brett Boehm. I'm seated across from my co-host, Joe Cilio. Joe, how are you? You know the jokes where you're like, it's not funny, it's not funny, but then you're like, but then he kept going, and then it was so funny. You know those jokes? Yeah, you're saying that's what my theme song is? Still waiting. Okay. Joe, you're uh, to quote our guest, which we'll uh, of course bring on in a second. Bring on as, as quickly as we can, Please, for the love of God. Yeah, you are famously uh, Philly trash, uh, and uh, but you have lived in New York City. Yeah, uh, how do you, in your mind, navigate the that 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 crisis? Uh, a guy from Philly who turned his back on the city of brotherly love to move <laughs> to the Big Apple. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you? How does that? How do you resolve that? Is that how you'd put it? Turning my back on. I mean, I, I just sowed my oats, Brett. I, I just went on a little, I went on a, a, my personal life journey and it brought me to New York City for about nine to 10 years and I had a great time, but it would never replace my great Philadelphia. And that is why today, despite me being dressed as Michael J. Fox in the secret of my success, I'm, I'm, thinking about, I'm repping Philly right here. So New York knows I care about you. But you're not my first love. Mm-hmm. That's right. That Wawa mug that you Amazon primed last night. No, my wife bought it for me for Christmas. Mm-hmm. 
which Christmas? This most recent Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> Making my point for me. It's a it's a recent acquisition. Uh since since you've the, and the thermos, not um, the fact that I love Philly or went to Wawa. Uh, the big city uh, chewed you up and spit you out over to the West Coast, but we're happy to have you here. Thanks. Uh, we'll return to that, maybe that that crisis later on in the episode. Uh, but without wow, further crisis. ado, without further ado, let's bring on our guest. This is very exciting. This is our first guest. Don't switch yet. Don't switch yet, Brian. We're gonna intro. We'll, we'll, we'll intro him. He, I guess he I, already switched. Okay. I mean, for the for the discerning Forever yeah. Dog dot plus viewer, you know who our guest is. For the discerning listener, who can tell, gr- <laughs> Tom, you know the great radio men. List the credits. Sure. List the credits. List the credits. I mean, they're endless. You don't know any of them. I do. I do he know them. Works here. He's on our network. I know who List he is. a single yeah. credit. Yeah. Are you serious? Yes. Fine. Monk. There you go. Great. Monk. Great. I did it. You guys yes. like Monk? Yeah. I did Monk. Who doesn't like Monk? Who doesn't? If you don't like Monk, say speak up. You know, if nobody will, nobody yeah. will, that's that's an opinion no one will admit to no. in public. Well, because sure. yeah, no. even if they don't like Monk, they know it's an unpopular. You know opinion. him from Monk. Yeah, from Monk. You heard of Monk? Sure. Is that all you know? No, that's fine. What else do you know? <clears throat> Can I switch now? No. <laughs> Monk is just the tip of the iceberg. All right, this guy. I'll tell you what. When I when I moved out to California, I was the first one out here. By the way, I was here before you, several years. I Who mean, cares? almost a decade. Uh, what the fuck? Who gives a shit? Laying Brad, the groundwork. You said that like it's impressive. Laying the groundwork. Joe was busy turning his back on Philadelphia. <laughs> now we're talking. Now we're you talking. Did, you literally to go to New York. Yeah. You literally yeah. did turn your back I to said, Philadelphia. It's just like, geography. It's just geography. It's the way moving from one place to another goes. Physically, I turned my back. You, so, my soul, sure. though, my soul remained full, full frontal. Sure. That is indisputable, but it is just as indisputable. But you did physically turn your back on Philadelphia. I mean, right. I, w- I will say just a one caveat there. Depending on on which side of the train you're sitting on, the Excel Express, you could technically mm-hmm. uh, take the Thank train you, Brett. to that's actually New York a, that's an excellent while point. you're facing Many Philly. times you get in Penn Station, you do the backwards That's train. not what you did. You, you, yeah, 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 yeah. Sat you, in the front, you, the front train, the front going hopped train. Hopped in your car, you, you rode out of town, you never looked back. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. I'm just, I, I'm just curious. I want to get to know you better. I want to know, you know, you fully. <laughs> you and I feel like that, this that, is probably this is how you get to know somebody. Yeah. I'm going to assume that this is a key part of your psyche. You, is this this you, this battle is. in your head? Any between, any any Philadelphia. I betrayed my my roots. I betrayed my origins. Any Philadelphian would feel the same way. So you you are you are, um, you're scratching a a, a wound. Not right. enough about you. Let's talk more about our guests. So I, I, you're. I'm not talking about me. You keep so bringing in addition it up. to Monk, I said Monk already. Uh, what more can we possibly? This guy want? created and has hosted the best. Uh, the best. Uh, audio. The best audio content. Uh, in in the history of this country. I'm just going to come out and Thank say you. it. Truly, it's probably truly, true. Actually, truly. A mo- I mean, I, prove me wrong. I mean, it, you. it's you and the thousand year old man are neck and neck right now. But yeah, you, but you have more there. years left. You For know a what second, I, mean? so I probably, thought I was yeah. I was ass kissing as yeah. I was hearing. But then I, it no, came no. it came out and it sat there and I was like, I don't no, think, no, I don't that's think that's wrong. I'm not ass kiss. Okay, yeah. not anymore. The best show, the best show, you know it. Um, and then most recently, uh, co-host of, of, I mean, just the best damn uh, comedy podcast out there, mm-hmm. uh, in addition to the best show, Double Threat, along with co-host Ju- Julie Klausner. Uh, what an honor to have him as a part of the Forever Dog family. I'm, of course, talking about Tom Sharp. Well, we can bring him up on the screen so now. Much. There he is. So there exciting. he is. I appreciate it. Um, looking great. Thank you. I, I want to say, though, Joe. Yes, Tom. Give it to him. You can. You don't need that Wawa uh, thermos for people to know you're from Philly. 
I would spot you as a Philly guy from a <laughs> mile away. Hey, this isn't about this is just about making sure that everybody mm-hmm. knows despite my looks today, like, Mr. New York, I, I you know, I'm still Jenny from the block. All I would say is right here. Mm-hmm. In that last sentence you just told us when you said the word nose. Uh, <laughs> nose. Yeah. We know yeah. you're from Philly. And look, Brett's from Georgia. Oh yeah, Who's Georgia trash. Yeah. Who's he to talk? He never lived in New York and he's given no. me guff. That's right. I never lived in New York. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare. Where did those scratches come from? Were you out last night uh, chucking that thing against a brick wall to get, to age it up a little bit? No, on the Wawa. No, but that's Philly. <laughs> these guys, these these Philly guys ride hard. Just from right? taking it in and out of my car after okay. work. All right, all right. Yeah, just the Philly guys. The poor old yeah. Philly guy. Gets... I feel like you're harping on my thermos because you didn't prep for the podcast today. Is mm-hmm. that what is that talking? sort of what was yeah, happening? Wait, no, I wore this. Uh... I, it's a guess. I'm dressed uh, as these are both New York movies. I'm dressed as uh, Statue of Liberty, of course. You know the the I, you know. I presume a prominent figure in New York culture. I don't sure. really know. Okay, uh, uh, everyone in New York's familiar with Statue of Liberty. Okay, mm-hmm. so Statue of Liberty. But then I also had a, a few a few uh, little JJ Hunsecker uh, yeah. touches here. The the glasses. These are not the ones I was looking for. Uh, Hollywood twain costume did not have the. Um, the the you know black rimmed on the top that I was looking for that's fine that was a hard ask sure. I get it no, this is my favorite costume that you've brought to the thank program. you and a little cigarette. it's awesome you got the little cigarette yeah not a real folks cigarette. this is Brett's best costume you can only find it on foreverdog.plus. absolutely you'll be able to watch video episodes of a weekend at Bergman's but you'll also be able to watch what video episodes you'll also be able to watch video episodes of Double Threat oh. every week right sent to your inbox foreverdog.plus, all of Ooh. that and more. That's how it works. Forever dog. Five dollars. Uh, what a deal. Five dollars. And then when you're making your your stir fry, mm-hmm. little tofu stir fry, sure. got a little bean sprouts in there. You got a little. Mm-hmm. You got a little beans. You got a little. So New York. Uh, you're working hard uh, to. Red pepper. You're working hard to not sound Philly by talking about <laughs> bean sprouts and tofu. <laughs> I don't mind sounding like Philly. It, it, uh, what about you in New Jersey? Like you're Mr. New. You know, yeah, Mr. New Jersey. You. No, you're Mr. Right. Right. That's, that's no, a huge you're, compliment. You're Mr. New Jersey. Yeah. Right. You. You. King of you, the Garden State. You are all the. You to me in my life have embodied all the wonderful things about the well, Garden. You're State. sweet. I grew up. Yeah. I grew up with Philly and New York as huge influences on me yeah. because when you're in New Jersey you're between these two major cities and they both have their own identities and they're both have their own attitudes but you're neither of them because they both look down on you they both look down on you the Philly people and the New York people look down on New Jersey people I didn't fully know that was the hierarchy I thought Philly and New Jersey were kind of level. Under no, the, no, New no. Jersey's a, a rung below. Oh yeah, New, wow. Philly, Philly, How well, dare Philly, you. New Jersey's a How dare well, you. Well, just think, New Jersey's a state, and it's kind of diffused throughout yeah. a okay. state. Philly is a major city. It's a big city. It's a big city. And you think about who's come out of Philly. Everybody, right? Everybody. I mean, Jimmy Butler most recently. <laughs> he came Why? out. Yes. Why you got to do? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, but Ben Franklin and yeah, yeah, Franklin. Franklin. sure, and yeah. the rest, yeah, and the rest, yeah, 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 yeah boys yeah. to men and the rest, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Tom, speaking of that, I, I wanted to because uh, you picked this pairing for us today. This is this is yeah, uh, this you, is a, 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 a sharpling choice. I was so excited when I heard this pairing. I think it makes so much sense. Um, what? Uh, how did this come to you? Why, why did you think of this pairing? Well, funnily enough, I maybe this will be the first time on the show. Is I'm a first time. The first guest on the show. The so first I guess guest. It might be, but I don't know if either of you have 
in preparation for an episode, seen one of the two movies in a theater. Because I did I see Sweet Smell of Success at the New Beverly mm. about three or so weeks ago. Oh, cool. And then I said to uh, Brett mm-hmm. in the Forever Dog uh, hallways, I said, what about Sweet Smell of Success and Secret of My Success as a pairing? Because I had just seen Sweet Smell of Success in a, on a 35 millimeter print at the New Beverly cool. in Los Angeles. Wow. How was that? Be- it was beautiful. It's and- a- Beautiful movie. Yeah, and yes. as we'll say uh, later on, uh, was, uh, the DP James Wong Howe, famous cinematographer. I mean, this movie is, you forget because it's so well written. This movie's gorgeous. Oh, absolutely. Gorgeous black and white. It looks film. as cool as can be. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Tom, uh, speaking of that kind of New Jersey, New York matrix, uh, the relationship between those two things, because uh, Secret of My Success, I was so glad you chose that one because that was a a uh, like a Turner cable staple when I was growing up. I must have seen that movie on TBS, TNT like 10 times. So I was very, I hadn't watched it, I haven't seen it in 20, 25 years, but but kind of grew up on that movie. And it was honestly one of the movies that kind of framed my understanding of New York, mm-hmm. which is, we'll talk about what that all entails. Um, but when you were growing up, I mean, you were so close to New York, but what were the movies and TV shows, if any, that kind of framed your you know, the, your understanding of New York, the myth of New York, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Well, I mean, there's, I would say, in terms of there are movies and there are television shows that framed it, but a couple of things that were, are not those, mm-hmm. like music did, because, like, um, liking like the Ramones as a kid, and, you know, Ro- Rocket to Rush was one of the first albums I bought. And just New York was this place just that was 45 minutes away and um and I also would go in regularly with my parents because they needed to go in for work purposes because they for retail buying t-shirts for imprinted which is what they did screen printing they would go in and we would go to the garment district uh and spend the day in New York a lot of times so I had a lot of uh experience taking day trips into Manhattan with that but in but I would say Saturday Night Live was huge because mm-hmm. it's like this that's happening so yeah. close to me. Like um David Letterman was huge because it was like a talk show that was not a Los Angeles talk show. It's like oh this is a New York talk show and it has some whole other energy that's so different than what the Tonight Show was at that point. So it just it it felt like that you could just feel there was some energy attached to so many of these things. And um, and then movie-wise, I mean, like, Ghostbusters was huge because it's like all these adventures are happening in New York. Marvel Comics were huge because they all took yeah. – so many of them were in Manhattan. Like, Doctor Strange is walking around the village and just, like, that was huge. It must be great, too, to have a, like, pre-80s Wall Street – like, you already had an understanding of New York before all that stuff happened because I know this was – Secret of My Success was one of the first – yeah, one of my first exposures to kind of New York, the myth of New York, what seeing it on TV in the movies. And so I, I like before understanding all of the cultural history of New York, just thought of it as like a business center where you mm-hmm. went to make a lot of money. And it was it's just kind of yeah, we'll we'll talk about that more. But but watching these two movies back to back, it's so interesting of what the because New York, I think, has always represented this like you go there to make it and you start at the bottom and you got to work your way up. But what you're working towards and what worlds you're sort of moving through, that's changed so much over the course of I think you know the 20th century, and 
yeah, it kind of sucks to have the like that 80s version of it be my first exposure because it was yeah, it was very cool to then learn about everything else. But yeah, my first memory of New York was like, oh, that's where yeah, you go to like be a big business success. And that's kind of what New York represents. Sure. Secret of my success. Secret that, of my that, success. That was your New York. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. That was my that's my New York. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Tim Heidecker here. We have a brand new Office Hours that just came out of the oven. We've got legendary psych rocker Ty Siegel. And Doug is back from down under. G'day. G'day. And his mommy came with him. Mommy and Gary Lusenhop are here, too. Alicia let me know that she finished the White Album, has thoughts on that. So much more on this legendary episode of Office Hours. Find us on your podcast app of choice or watch us on YouTube at youtube.com slash office hours live. Who are the animals? Because I don't smell them. I wanted to play a quick game with you, Tom, if that's all right. Oh, of course. Um, as I mentioned uh, in the in the intro, uh, you know, the, the New York ladder goes in both directions. You can either end up in a penthouse apartment or dead in a ditch. And so I wanted to present to you some, um, I'm going to list out some just some characters, some fictional characters and other kind of characters. And I want you to tell me, you have two choices here. If these characters showed up in New York, you know, fresh off the bus from wherever, with just, you know, a bindle over their shoulder and a couple sure. bucks. Are they going to end up in a penthouse apartment or are they going to end up dead in a ditch? Sure. All right. And usually uh, I, I, I usually have a theme song. I didn't have time to write a custom theme song for this segment. Well, just do it uh, to I the really tune of Happy Birthday. That'll be about as creative as it would Well, there was too many. Uh, the segment is called Penthouse Apartment or Dead in a Ditch. Just I couldn't find it, anything that would to the scam tune of happy for birthday. that. No, I'm going to stick with my original plan. I'm just going to play New York Groove behind it. I just don't. We'll just sort of have this playing in the background. It'll be fun. If you say so. Oh, sorry. I have other stuff. Oh, this, this, is fu- this is fun. You're right. Man. Cherish. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> One of those New York anthems. The association. So it turns out when you uh, wow, leave, this is awesome when you leave, uh, when you leave different drum on, that's who, that's what comes knew? on the YouTube playlist yeah. five songs this later. Is great. All right. Do you own a podcast company? Here we go. Ooh. Ooh. All right, let's play Penthouse Apartment or Dead in a Ditch with sure. our guest Tom Sharpling. First up, Bugs Bunny. Well, oh, Penthouse Apartment is his, his call. Second, Mickey Mouse. Dead in the Ditch. <laughs> Third, Bez from the Happy Mondays. Uh, both. <laughs> Fourth, the Philly Fanatic. Dead in the Ditch. Fifth, uh, an old friend of Double Threat, the Crypt Keeper. Penthouse Apartment. Number six, that sweet little orphan Oliver Twist. Dead in a ditch. Number seven, Ronald McDonald. Um, tough one. Ronald McDonald, I see him game in the system. Penthouse apartment. He's like the Jordan Belford. He'd figure it out, yeah. yeah. Number eight, Kermit the Frog. Kermit the Frog. Um, <clears throat> dead in a ditch. <gasps> Look, hey, it's... It's a rough city. There's two options. It only goes one. It only goes yeah. one of two ways. Can we talk about that for one second, please? But all his work, you know, behind the scenes on the Muppet Show, you don't think that that would sort of 
you know, he's met a lot of shucking a lot of hands. Sure. Well, when the dish is calling, wow. you, go meet, All right. you go meet the dish. It's a vote of no confidence yeah. for Kermit. You know what the okay. biggest lie in the world is? That old thing, you can never cheat an honest man. You can cheat an honest man. You can honest men get cheated and screwed over all the time. So I think Kermit the Frog is a he's like has a lot of integrity, but that's not gonna save him in the big city. I think dead in the ditch as well. It also it's assuming that Kermit the Frog isn't like cooking the books on the Muppet show, that theater. Like he's not just, just cheaping out. Of it. Okay. The show falls yeah. apart every week. What do you think that's about? But somebody's cutting cutting uh corners. He's an LA frog. <laughs> he's he's a very much an LA he's frog. He's an LA frog. Yes. Number nine. Uh this is uh, another another uh, double threat reference here. Uh, number nine, the entire population of Lake Wobegon showing up together and working in unison as a group. Walk them right <laughs> off the bus into the ditch. <laughs> they are not going to cut it. Okay. <laughs> that tracks. And uh, number ten, a movie that we're actually going to watch uh, on Weekend at Bergman's in a couple weeks, Nosferatu, the vampire Nosferatu. Oh, it's Penthouse Apartment. Absolutely. That's what I thought, too. Wow. That was Penthouse Apartment or Dead in a Ditch. Mm-hmm. Thank you for playing, Tom. Thank you for, for the game. I love games. That was a lot of fun. Nothing funnier than games, right, Tom? Oh, I love all the great shows have games on them. Right. Uh, Jimmy Fallon, James Corden. Yes. There's nothing. Weekend at Bergman's. Nothing comedy sort of screams more than just just a stupid game with some fucking (laughs) music that you like and just sort of words you know and just sort of just sort of opinions. (laughs) This is what I was dying to see was this. The back and forth. Tom. Here's the thing. I'm not mad. I'm not in a ditch or in a penthouse. Kermit the Frog. I'm not even mad because I just don't know. I don't even know how you would fill space. I don't even know how you would fill time. Talk about the fucking movies. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> you ever heard of a three-act structure? A, a show should have a beginning, a middle, and end. We are now in the middle. Well, that would make the movies the end. I mean, this is, I guess it's more of a five-act structure. <laughs> but either way, I'm approaching this with some sure. sense of order. I mean, yeah. right, Tom? No, no. Yeah, yeah, I know that, right, look, you know what? That famous, yeah. that classic cinematic five-act structure. <laughs> yeah. All right, look, look, we're being a little hard. Leaning we're being a little hard. I, I have, I have a confession to make. Oh, great! I liked the game. All right. Yes, I. I yeah, I had fun playing. You the were game. wearing it all over your face. It made me laugh. Yeah. It, it made me smile. Tom's answers were funny. Thank the game you. was good. It's okay? a great game. The game was yeah. good. I'm sorry. Let's get into our movies. Uh, so the movies that we watched, the two movies we watched uh, today, uh, Sweet Smell of Success from 1957 and The Secret of My Success from 1987. A mere 30 years separate these movies. Uh, and yet the gulf between their quality, I think we can honestly say, is is quite large. Uh, this is one of those weeks, unless I'm speaking out of turn here, some weeks we go in, we're torn, we're, we're, we're divided. We don't know what we're going to do. It's truly you know, psychologically torturous, it's knowing torture. that one of these movies we're never going to watch again. Then there are other weeks where it's just, oh, we're just slamming on one movie and celebrating another. Unless I'm speaking of turn, I feel like maybe that's the way this week is going to go, unless there's any objections to that. Not enough for me. No objections not. here. So let's start then with, uh, let's start then with this, whew, this real, uh, this real piece of crap here. Secret of My Success from 1987. We'll get that one out of the way first. It was produced and directed by uh, a pretty illustrious director, Herbert Ross. Before the show started, uh, Tom was reading out some of Herbert Ross's credits. Play it again, Sam. The Last of Sheila. Funny Lady. Wow. Sunshine Boys. Uh, the Owl and the Pussycat. The Goodbye Girl, California Sweets. We did a couple of Neil Simons there. 
Pennies from Heaven, Steve Martin's yeah. uh, dramatic debut. Remake of the Bob Hoskins yeah. show. Yeah. Footloose. Really? Yeah. Steel yeah. Magnolias. What? I guess everybody, look, sometimes you just got to work, you know? And Michael J. Fox. And, yeah, you know, sure. You know, I'm going to say this thing, wasn't Herbert's know? fault then. I mean, yeah, that's, Her- a pretty, Her- that's a pretty Herbert, impressive body Herbert of work to, there. Herbert, yeah. Herbert has to work. You know? Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Um, and it was uh, written by uh, A.J. Carruthers. Uh, it was filmed on location in Manhattan. Uh, Joe, if you wouldn't it mind. <laughs> it captured zero of the majesty of the opportunity to film in New York. Whether you like New York or not, we can all admit there's a great romance, especially mm-hmm. in a legacy of romance for the city on film. Mm-hmm. One of the most filmed and gorgeously shot cities and and brought the brought the world to New York via the medium of film. Mm. So when you tell me that my the secret of my success was shot on location on in Manhattan, location. I want the audience to understand that it captured absolutely nothing of the city. Well, for people who haven't seen the film, why don't you give us one of your classic 60-second recaps? You ready? Oh, my gosh. I am. I am. Let's, let's, and let's give it a try. here we go. Michael J. Fox plays a young whippersnapper from Kansas. You know it because he's literally shoving hay in the first like three <laughs> seconds. That's what they do in Kansas on the farm. He's he's not wearing a shirt. He's just shoveling hay onto a pile of hay. It doesn't matter. Uh, he's from Kansas and he's going to New York to get a job. When he gets to New York, he realizes that company is folding. He has to find another job. He meets up with his uncle who owns a big firm. God knows what industry it is. They don't bother to tell you. They uh, he r- runs a big firm and he puts Michael J. Fox down in the mailroom, but that doesn't satisfy Michael J. Fox. He pretends to be another guy. He learns the ways of the company. He pretends to be a guy. He gets in a fake office. He gets a he gets a secretary and he's tricking everybody, which leads to a good old fashioned comedy of errors where everybody's running around and he's changing costumes seconds. and then he's the mailroom version. Then he's the 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 business version. But the uncle's like, let me meet this new whippersnapper, but Michael J. Fox can't be seen. And then they all go to the country and Five it's like Midsummer Night's Dream, but not not good or Shakespeare or funny. And then it ends mercifully. All right. That was a 60 second recap of The Secret of My Amazing. Success. Thanks, uh, Tommy, think there's any key details you left out there? Um, No, that actually captured the the plot of this movie was Michael J. Fox is uh, a young go-getter and he's trying to make it at any price but uh, but he needs to make it on his own terms is the thing he's decided yeah. that he's not gonna sleep his way to the top that just like who knew that was an option for <laughs> mm-hmm. He will milk his uh, his like family relationships. Sure. I mean, he's he's very he adamant. Didn't want that, it, but he but he had. To. Yeah, but he's always yeah. he still remains adamant that he's going to do it on his own. Yeah, uh, even after having uh, just just gone to his uncle's yeah. firm and asked for a job. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to do it on my own, and then asks his uncle who owns a company mm-hmm. to hire him mm-hmm. for something. Mm-hmm. But the movie still implies that he's doing it on his own. So then, but he he goes and he lies about being this executive. And he's playing both sides of the thing. He's still running around the mailroom with some guy who was like a Bradley Whitford yeah. knockoff. Yeah. That I was just like, wait, is that Bradley Whit? Yeah. Seems like Bradley Whitford's uncle or something. Yeah. Or like, exactly. we're just like, yeah. just like he had the same look, but then like Bradley Whitford would like fine tune it and get mm-hmm. it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that guy um, was in Mad About You, right? Wasn't he put like uh, yes. Paul oh, Reiser's, Paul Reiser's brother, brother in Mad yeah. About You? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, His buddy. And in every movie, it always has that great moment in every one of this breed of comedy from a certain area where, I'm not going to, no spoilers. 
You can spoil. All the characters team up in the end, and like a guy like that walks in, and he even scores a minute. He like shoves some like files in someone's hand. He's like, "Yeah, why don't you take these?" Yeah, like like he gets to put someone in their place. Like oh, every one of those movies has that moment where they show the 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 so-called bosses who's the actual boss mm. and one of those bosses the guy who's coming in to buy the company is fred gwynn a little yeah. fred gwynn cameo at the yeah. very end Love my friend. Uh, i think uh, he was the highlight Monster. of the film yes uh and that was a uh, john pankow is the is the buddy john pankow then went on to mad mm-hmm. about you uh but yeah tom i mean the the this movie is so much it uh, it's like the opposite side of the coin from Weekend at Bernie's, which we watched earlier, the first on our first episode. In that Weekend at Bernie's, I was just, I, I just loved how, uh, how how funny it was, how self aware it was about the '80s and about '80s excess and all this stuff. And and I think really you can argue is is a satire of all that excess. This movie is is in love with like the Wall Street dream of the '80s. I mean, it's, it's almost propaganda for that kind of that moment. Um, it's basically training people to be just work machines yeah. and celebrating the idea that you exist for work and only for work and that that is the only way to prove your worth and to validate you because Michael J. Fox wants this job. Ostensibly, he wants the job that his uncle slash boss uh, – can like the, he wants to be one of the people that can be close to him working for him and then every time they show the people working right under the boss they're just buffoons yeah and they're like they're like just losers yeah. but that he's striving for one of those jobs like that would be <laughs> yeah. his dream come true to be one of the people who gets mm-hmm. to run around the track on the roof of, Very, the, yeah, building of the building with his uncle as one of his chosen executives but those executives are just like they're they're just like animals in the movie yeah that's a that's a great point i don't understand um the aspiration he seems to revel in only one element of the job which is being able to sort of like lean over secretary's desks and like kind Mm -hmm. of like do like a nudge nudge kind of a joke I don't really see him taking advantage of any other elements. He doesn't really, he doesn't like get a company car. He doesn't uh, get like a boat. He doesn't really make a lot of money. He still lives in like a, a his original place. He never takes advantage of any of the the upgrades of the lifestyle. Um, the only thing that he sort of takes advantage of is sort of strutting around like an asshole and kind of leaning, sitting on people's desks and kind of giving them a look. He's yeah. He simultaneously like his main drive is to be liked. I think his like main thing is that he really wants to be liked and accepted. And it's the culture more than like any, yeah, he's like weirdly like non-materialistic. You think of this. Yeah. He is in certain ways though. He, he's hung up on flying back home on a private plane. Like that's like a thing. Like, like there are things He's exact. He's a hundred percent obsessed with being liked, yeah. and with people yeah. being impressed by yes. him. Yes. Like those Status. are the things yeah. that make him, that fuel him. Is you will be impressed by me, and the and I think he, I I do think he is maybe more materialistic once he gets a chance to because he always okay. talked about I want the apartment, right. I want the this i want that like those are the thing when he talked to his mother about the things he's striving for mm-hmm. 
That's yeah, true. that's a good that's point. Because he's like point. he's not actually getting any money. He's doing two jobs, and he's pretending to be an executive, but he's just getting paid as though he works in the mailroom. Mm-hmm. Right. So the materialism he can't act on yet. But you, yeah, surely once he, he can, will he will take two years of that, from yeah. from where this movie ends. He will be literally just be yeah. his uncle. Yeah, correct. I, I guess then just critical of then the comedy. So it's like okay, so you you have a fish out of water thing where this Kansas kid is now up in the big league of executive suite and he has to um, pretend to be a boss. You think that that would just yield just just hours of gags or just like we can sit around and think of like fifty different things he could do to play up that sort of tension that that fish out of water scenario uh, he doesn't take advantage of any of the 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 comedy opportunities the only they barely he, do he, any fish out of water he, stuff. I, I don't know yeah. why not he just kind of struts around sits on a desk makes advances on all of the women in mm-hmm. the office and then you're right he does talk about what he's going to do later famously not a great thing to do in your movie like go ahead and activate that why don't you put him on a plane and have him pretend to be rich and not know the rule you know just do Mm -hmm. any sort of comedic premise because it and the same thing happens in act three where great it's going to be a scooby-doo midsummer night's dream run around sex comedy oh my god that bed that montage So at the end they all so just to do you mind if i go on right here do you want to do something okay please please just a quick catch of the audience up. Please don't watch the movie to like follow don't along with the podcast. Movie. Let me just tell you, something bizarre happens. Michael J. Fox in the mailroom is asked to drive the boss's wife home. Vera. Vera. He drives the boss's Not wa- knowing it's the boss's wife. Just drive. Thank you. Yes. Drive this woman Dr- home. Drive this woman home. He drives her out to her fancy house, and she makes serious, significant advances on him, which culminates in a showgirls-adjacent Pool sex scene, but this how one dare you. we talked about how in Verhoeven it was like played as if it could be horror. This one literally has the Jaws soundtrack underneath of it mm-hmm. as she sort of uh, destroys Michael J. Fox in this uh, pool setting. Oh. Just when I thought it was safe to go back in the water. Huh. The Jaws thing is so interesting because yeah. it truly felt like, like you're saying, it truly felt like they didn't plan out. The movie, it, like a lot of the stuff, is like almost like day of decisions. It feels like, like the Jaws thing is so that bizarre, was so, ba- so bizarre. I don't know. What, I think and he even funny. quotes Jaws. He says like, like you know, what yeah. you can't go in the water again mm. or something. It's like, yeah, but it's a very half baked. I think this, idea. this is like the '80s version of you know, in Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds when he's like, hey, look, it's a uh, Darth Vader. You know, it's mm-hmm. just that sort of a uh, you know, yeah. Hey, oh Jaws, remember that a couple summers ago? That was that yeah. Was they're really like popular. grasping at like accessibility. Like, what are the things yeah, we can do right. that's just accessible to people? And yeah, so Michael. J. Fox is is has had sex with who he learns at the end of this scene is his aunt. It's the boss's wife. Oh my god! Anyway, this whole sort of and then the boss is dating his love interest, who's the only female executive at the firm with for whom he has no respect at all. It's it's fun. It's it's, yeah. it's it'd be funny if it wasn't if it wasn't bizarre and yeah. sad. So anyway, at the end, basically, in Act Three, they all go away for the weekend for some big corporate retreat party esque sort of scenario that involves. What comedically could be, you know, it's my favorite kind of scene. It's a good old fashioned noises off sex farce. And I'm like, okay, can act three salvage this? Cause they're all snooping around, getting into each other's beds. Um, r- just, just fertile comedic ground. Zero laughs. Well, it's like they're in no a, laughs. it's like they're in yeah. an uh, MC Escher painting. The montage lasts for like 
um, like what felt like five minutes, and I you lose track of where everybody is. They did it so poorly. It's so like it's there's no sense of tension. You never know if someone's around the corner from somebody else. Just watch no. any Scooby Doo. They're lost in a maze at yeah. this yeah. point. Yeah, I don't there's know. no wide shot yeah. of a somebody going through a door and somebody going past the, the door? door after the door shuts. Like in every one of those farces there's the classic wide shot of all the doors and this one comes out of this one that there's literally nothing like that it's all close-ups of reactions and it's set the the one unique thing about this movie is there are two two full montages Set to yellows. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. There of this movie, this movie right. is one hour and eleven minutes long. Six of those minutes are the song. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's, he's Twice. Got, he's in the limo no with lie. Vera, which you talked about. And yeah. Vera's so, like seducing him, but also just like putting on makeup, gearing up because, to sexually like, assault. Him. Yes. Yeah. The she she yeah. fillets a lips a, to, uh, a, yes. a lipstick. Yeah. Yes. Because he complimented her once. Yes. And then they show them running around to this song the second time. You're just like, well, this just feels like old people thinking that this is what kids want. And I think because, oh, yeah, was in Ferris Bueller. Right. Famously, yeah. A year earlier. (laughs) (laughs) So then they were just like, well, let's put that one from the Ferris Bueller in this. Bueller will do Jaws. We'll do all that. It worked when we cut it. We'll do Scooby Doo doors. We won't do it good, but yeah. That feels like the one, like a lot of times they, they cut a thing together and they use this temp music. And then people fall in love with the temp music. They're just like, we should go with the. Yeah. They're like, look, we'll cut it to oh, yeah. (laughs) And then we'll find the right song. But then they're just like, it's really working with oh, yeah. Which one? Both. Both. Sometimes these stars get to a point. At this point, Michael J. Fox was as big as you could get. Mm -hmm. It's like post Family Ties, post Back to the Future. Mm -hmm. He's as big as it gets. He shows up in this movie. He's not playing Brantford or whatever. What was his name? Yeah, Brantley. Brantford. Brantley. Yeah, Brantley. He's playing Michael J. Fox. Yeah. yeah. He's doing all his tricks. Right. He's stammering and all oh, guys. And then he's jumping out of thing and, and kind of like clumsily right. jumping through things. He's just doing Michael J. Fox all through. It's a star move. It's a, it's when you realize you're a certain level of fame when you show up and you do your you do, your do thing. the thing that they yeah want you to do and it's just like this is that point in his career where he's just like the the script can be garbage i'll just do some michael j fox crap and that'll put us over the top and i really feel like the jaws stuff and the other things I, i if i had to guess they were cutting this movie and it just wasn't that funny so they're just like well what if we do a jaws thing here what if we do these things so they're doing like these little like they're trying to, try to like goose the comedy in it yeah. because the actual s- stuff isn't working. And final point, when he's in the pool yeah. and she's pulling his bathing suit off, yeah. you clearly, clearly see the skin-colored <laughs> yeah, briefs he's wearing. No. So clearly yeah. that it's 
insane <laughs> that it's that clear in the movie. It's so clear that you have to you have to like interpret it as like yeah. in the universe of the movie. No, yeah. Like you have to interpret like the, guys, that character is wearing until them. this yeah. moment. Yeah. I figured that in the eighties, men were just more demure and they wore some sort they of wore speedo a second underneath. underneath. And why was his skin color? I was like, it was just so brazen and yeah. And, the movie, and, no, the movie it was just forces so you clear. I just I was just like, uh, I guess that was a thing. You I have, have no to. choice. It's so obvious. I guess that was a choice. There, I I call it. To me, it's like the Bazooka Joe theory uh, the, of things, where it's like sometimes you read a Bazooka Joe comic, and it's so stupid <laughs> that you almost aren't sure if you got it or not. Like You're yeah. just like, wait a minute. This has to be a different joke here. I almost am – am I not smart enough for a Bazooka <laughs> Joe thing? But you're so beyond it that you actually can't believe somebody mm. would – Put that out there as a as comedy, uh, yeah. That, and this that, movie has a, great, a lot yeah. of that in it, where yeah. you're like, "This is so stupid." Yeah. Where yeah. do we stand on Michael J. Fox, just in general, and just to just like enough times pass, we can all be honest about it. And I will say, like, after watching, after this viewing, and and we always on weekend Bergman's, you watch with clean eyes, you watch, yeah. you watch as though you've never seen it before. Yeah. I felt the need to reevaluate Michael J. Fox. I didn't. I I don't really like blame him per se though no. i think he is just i feel like he is being poorly treated by this movie because he really feels like just a like like i this movie truly watches like just propaganda for the 80s and he feels like just a tool that's being used to like add some charisma and charm to that mm-hmm. to that ideology of like wealth and work is the only are the only goals uh, and he he makes that seem human. He makes that all kind of because he's like he's really none of these characters are really that different in their goals. Like some of them are a little more devious or this or that. Um, but like the the uh, love interest um, uh, uh, Christy, played by Helen Slater. Uh, who's like Michael J. Fox love interest in this movie is a is a terrible person. Her like she's like yeah. adamant that they need to like shut down multiple entire yeah. Midwest factories. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just like just as 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 ruthless of a of a kind of Wall Street capitalist as you can be. Um so I feel like Michael J. Fox, like like Thomas saying, is brought in here to just do the Michael J. Fox thing to add some to make this whole like vision of the world palatable. Um but then I was looking at some of his other credits from around this time and like Man, he was really playing a lot of assholes. Like, and you don't know at the time because he is so charming. But like movies like Doc Hollywood and this and that. Like, he's just he kind of, uh, you know. Whereas like Andrew McCarthy, who had a similar dynamic, I think had got some more interesting roles that hold up a little bit better. Yeah, man, Michael J. Fox was just getting a lot of crap post Back yeah. to the Future. He yeah. really embodied this like '80s attitude of like it's almost like the comedy version of like. Stallone or something where it's just like it's just it's kind of you're kind of just getting bullied a little bit by somebody if Michael J. Fox was was gonna do what he does in in other eras now he would have been the villain in in most movies (laughs) he would have been he would have been the jerk off who loses not the hero of these movies because he's he's it's like a post Bill Murray snarky, uh, too cool for school thing that he became the face of, and in like Back to the Future, it's well served because he's up against larger right. forces. But in things like this, he just smirks his way through the whole thing, yeah. And you're just like, 
you're it's kind of repulsive. Yeah, and he just yeah. ends the movie as like the the new CEO of like a conglomerate. Yeah, he, he literally has <laughs> his hair un- slicked back at the end of the yeah. movie. Yeah. Where did not where did he get the money to buy the firm? From Vera? From Vera. But at the end of the movie, Michael J. Fox teams up with his aunt who he had sleeping with yeah. unwillingly and convinces her to uh, buy out the company that he works at from the mailroom from his uncle who's a jerk but not only that they also put together enough money to also buy the company that's trying to do a hostile takeover of Mm -hmm. the company michael j fox works at so michael j fox convinces vera to buy not one but like two massive wall street you know hedge funds or whatever they're buying whatever they are in an Um, hour in an and then he sort of runs into (laughs) it runs into a room yeah it's just you know it's it strains credulity uh like many uh comedic premises in this in this horrible can we go to uh can we go to 126 30 um this is a scene that i think represents a lot of what we're talking about uh this is the scene where vera they're out uh at this like country club for this weekend where all these like business leaders are meeting it's very um and this there's a couple things happening here that that are like common throughout the movie uh one this movie and i think this has to do with what tom was saying about like getting into the editing room and being like what the hell do we do with all mm-hmm. this footage is like there are so many montages w- yeah. with no dialogue so many mm-hmm. montages that are just like set to some like silly song uh and and it, they just that's how they're going to get you from point a to point b in the plot is like well we don't have the dialogue for it so we're just let's just do a montage thing and that'll get us and you know of course every movie relies on montages this movie has like seven or yeah, eight montages and all the honestly all the scenes we've we've Good been point. talking about are montage scenes the limo uh yeah, the like creeping around the house um, the first time he sees his love interest is bizarre. It almost switches oh, to like so an art house like aesthetic for a second. It's so crazy. She bends yeah. over to drink out of the water fountain. Yes, but, first, yeah. but her lips don't drink water. She just puts her lips up to the water. Yeah, Actually, sorry, Brian, that's 1552. Let's look um, at that real quick. Anyway, cool. and then short. there's like a whole it's, dream sequence, yeah. but just, just whatever. Just, well, for that scene also, I want to say when they when he meets all the, all the rich guys who eventually help him out later, I'm 95% sure Jeffrey Epstein is acting in this scene. No, I'm Let's kidding. Keep... It's just like, it's just like <laughs> there's a guy who looks shockingly I, I like 100%. Jeffrey Epstein. I, I, with this movie, it's I would Epstein. go. No, no, like, it would be just like, it's Epstein. Hey, Jeffrey's a. Yeah, he, like, hey, hey, Jeffrey. He's like an associate producer. He threw in yeah, a couple exactly. million. He wants Jeffrey, to be in the movie. Yeah. 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 I buy it. I mean, all right. So this is, uh, this is the love at first sight montage. And we like briefly. Oh, good, we have it. It's oh, like good. we go into. Last year in Marienbad for like did, for two minutes. Before we this play, movie. did yeah. anybody else have a hard time um, with his Kansas accent that he developed? <laughs> I couldn't understand for? a thing. It's <laughs> 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 supposed to literally be right off the farm, yeah. and he's just yeah. talking he's just like Michael, Michael J. Fox. Michael but that's yeah. that's the hey, fame part of it, where he's just yeah. like, "You're from Kansas." He's like, "Okay, I'm gonna just be from Kansas." And it's like, any chance you want to work any kind of thing? No. Nope. It's such an old fact because, like, I that would you would see that all the time with like Cary Grant, where you'd be watching a Cary Grant movie and then halfway through you find out he's French and you're just like, what? yeah, what? but yeah. he's not a Michael J. Fox is yeah. not a Cary Grant make, yeah, you know. All right, I, I have more more leeway for Cary. Let's watch uh, the Love at First Sight montage. I think this is around. Yeah, here we go. Oh, the, the marble. All right, so he's Suspenders. drinking. He's drinking water and it's kind of regular. 
right, here's just a woman asking if she can use the water fountain. Helen's super and girl he's, he's, he's He gets yeah. in her way and stares, stares her down. Bizarre. Now she's... That... Wait, there's like an insert of... Yeah, she just presses what? her lips she's to the just water. Holding, she just wants like wet lips? Yeah. You don't just go to a water fountain and just, just hold your, your... You gotta, you gotta suck. Hold your lips under for... Okay, Michael sir. J. Fox Michael blinks. Fox now we go to now, a wait, what? dream sequence? Now it's a I weird don't know what perfume commercial. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's a perfume commercial. What it is fuck? like all the 80s aesthetics so are like now the, the room melting is into each out other. And it's just her, and she's wearing a pink, you know, she's going to a wedding dress. He stole the water fountain, though, which and, is a weird yeah, choice. They shoot the movie. All the comedy is shot so confusedly yeah. that it contributes further to there not being any laughs in Now this film. seems to be like a visual metaphor yeah, what of some is, kind? What's romantic and interesting about her spinning around in the rotating It's like they look it's around haunting. the lobby and they're like, okay, why don't you you can spin around in there yeah. you can, uh, maybe you can go ahead and dance around the big area. Let's just do some whimsical things that suggest dream sequence. Alright, we can stop there uh, and then can you go what back to um, Brian, can you go back to 126.30 and we'll what is country What is that sing? communicating that? She's the only one in his eyes, and nobody else can be seen. It's just like she's ringing out of water fountain, then she's walking around in a pink dress, and then she's back in her regular clothes, spinning around in the rotating uh, doors. It's, it's haunting. It doesn't like communicate what they want it to communicate, which is just like let's do a love at first sight thing, and they <laughs> they like everything know. slows down, and they they make eye contact. But their version of and, and it's like the creeping around the house. These are not hard. Just like follow the playbook on the thing. Yeah. Just like they do, do the uh, done that ten thousand times. Just yeah. copy. Yeah, nothing wrong with copying. Copying some how yeah. you shoot the bits. No and also it. any any adult. This might be more my personal bias. No, bring it. Any adult drinking out of a water fountain like that should be arrested. <laughs> <laughs> so you say adults don't drink in water fountains? Not like that. They don't. They oh, should. Okay. Wait, That's how, a giveaway. How, how does an adult drink general water principles? Fountain? We'll bring you down to the station, and sort okay. it out. If the water goes up, it's got to go down your throat. She is yeah. just like splashing. Not only is she just like uh, lightly splashing her lips. All that water is going back into the oh, general. I, I, I've come yeah. out as a fervent, fervently anti how she drinks out of a water fountain. Let's watch this other scene. Yeah, this so is so this is a, this a another montage. Mm -hmm. Um but this this one was so bizarre to me because it's it's kind of the whole movie in a nutshell where they play this is where Brantley is starting to just network with other rich businessmen at this country club. Mm -hmm. Um which is like Tom was saying is like uh it's like what the villain does. This is like what yeah. the villain does in, mo in movies is they like they're on the inside of the country club. They're the snobs and oh, you don't like them. This is who he gets on yeah. his team to go by both yeah. of the big companies. This is sorry, when he's putting so, right. this is when he's putting together the plan to kind of hijack the company, right? Oh. And Vera is like showing him around. Most other movies would have him start to realize the error of his ways now. <laughs> Not realize <laughs> what have I become. I still want to become more like one of these guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Like you're right. He would be real. He would say like, "Hey, you guys are still going to go forward and trash the yeah. companies in the Midwest. I'm from the Midwest. This is wrong. You don't have any feel for real people. There's like none of that in this. Yeah. When he suggests, "Hey, we should save those companies. We should expand." Yeah, yeah. 
He's not saying it to to help out people in the heartland. No. He's saying it just because he thinks it will make them more money. Yeah, yeah very yeah. good point. That's the best you can hope for is like you coincidentally save the yeah. factories in the Midwest. But that's not the driving impulse. He is loving uh, networking with all these guys at the country club. And the music they play under it and the way they shoot it, it's like a sentimental montage yeah, of just of of like upper crust 80s wealth. It, it's this is this is a truly troubling scene. Uh, let's go ahead and watch it. There's Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> he really, really does look like Epstein. And so Beer is like, meet this guy. Shake hands. They're chatting yeah. about whatever. You go to my the, island. The ponies or whatever. Yeah. And meet There's this guy the, with the chihuahua. This is, is a cute oh, this, this, this is, this is the most powerful man in New York. <laughs> yeah. He's doing the left-handed shake, the left-handed grab and shake. Look at that little boy. Pets his chihuahua. I imagine that's But now he's holding the chihuahua. Look. Oh, he's learning. He's learning the ways of wealth. Charm the dog. They're in a literal gazebo. What do you think he's talking to them about? He works in the mailroom. He got here two weeks ago. What could he possibly be telling? I guess guess the CEOs of like Fortune 500 companies have literally no idea what the fuck's going on at their company anyway. Beer's impressed. He's like, oh, he's a wonderkind. He knows all the ways of the world and money. Now he's on a gazebo. What's he explaining? Lecturing them all about their own businesses. Now more more people want to hear. They're flocking to him. It's truly. He's standing in a gazebo just extemporaneously going on about business. He graduated from college two weeks ago and moved to New York. Now he's in the Hamptons, just like George Will shaking his head. Yeah, yeah. And you know what he's saying, because we've heard it all movie. He's just saying expand. platitudes like, we got to expand. We got to be bigger. Yeah. We got we got to do more. We got to be bold. Yeah. He's not saying anything. Yeah. All right. We can end it there. Maybe, maybe before NAFTA, there was just so much promise about, you know, retaining, you know, the American businesses in, in our and in, in manufacturing plants in our country. And maybe maybe this movie is just a wild idealist and, and our crippled sorry whatever this is a horror movie our, our, that, that our, scene our, our is... disgusting uh, ravaged hearts can't comprehend you know the the pre-nafta uh, excitement about expansion that we were just not connecting with us you know did that resonate when you were watching on tnt growing up this no. film no. i thought this movie was very cool when i was growing okay. up which is troubling now in hindsight okay. mm-hmm. um because yeah. you know growing i was telling joe this before you know, you grow up as a as a white guy in America. You eventually unlearn certain things and kind of learn more about the context and the history and unlearn some of your, you know, privilege and all this. And I remember I thought I had thought a lot of that had come from different places. Now watching this, I'm like, I think I was just unlearning this movie. I think I was just trying to like strip away mm. the like mm. vision of of New York and America mm. that this movie uh, ground into me as a kid. Oh, man. You can try. You can keep trying to divorce yourself from my. I love the this secret movie of my success when I was when I was, uh, when I was young. The movie just, even has a joke where it's just like, uh, like, oh, you you're perfect for the job, but. Uh, are you a minority woman? Oh, yeah. Like yeah, when right. he's trying to get a job, it's just yeah, like, yeah. and it's like, what's that supposed to mean? Just like, look, you're actually, you know, I if it wasn't for them, you'd yeah, be right. getting this job. It's just like, the first, yeah, the first the, joke in the film is, a tra- is like a trans joke. He like gets off the bus, three cross dressers, trans people, they like walk out, and he mm-hmm. goes, Guess I'm really in New York, and then I rebound it like three times. Yeah. I was like, "Is that?" Because mm-hmm. it's like he's looking. Then it cuts to three people who I like assume there was something like that. He didn't like the cut of their jib, and then it cuts back to him, and he goes, Ugh, 
guess I'm really in New York now. And I went back three times because I was like, what could oh, he possibly he, be looking at that he said that? He was and, saying a Toto. He was saying the line like, well, Toto. Yeah, I guess we're on Kansas says, yeah, but, yeah. Oh, but the yeah. only in thing, response it's, to, it's not like a yeah. shot of the Empire yeah. State no, no, going, no, a shot no, of a donut guy, a shot of a hot dog guy, a shot of someone going, I'm walking here. Yeah. And then it's just three people crossing the street. Cuts back and he goes, oh, I guess I'm not in Kansas anymore. Yeah. I was like, what is I literally had to figure out like what he possibly could and they do could like a, a problem. They do like a crime thing where it's like the city's being being ravaged by crime, which that of course you could kind of cut dots on that. Comedy, like, that scene. Like that scene they did. approximates like yeah, what all that can be said for it. Be, right? Yeah. That was that was seeing this movie, which I haven't seen since it came out. Um Seeing that, I was like, oh, well, maybe this movie will be kind of heightened and surreal, and that'll be because it was like, oh, this is yeah. a surreal thing where he's on this phone, he's on the pay phone with his mother back in Kansas, and there's literally a, a full on crime scene where an old lady's getting taken hostage and stuff. I was just like, well, this is insane. Maybe this movie will be yeah. yeah. kind of funny in a way where they're poking at this whole thing, but then they stop immediately. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it did experience. like play as like airplane for like two seconds there during that mm-hmm. scene, and then. But I think you're right. Like early on in the movie, it's almost like they're checking off all these boxes of like the joke about minorities taking white people's jobs, the crime thing, the like getting off the bus thing. It was like they were checking all of these sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like conservative sort of like uh, mm-hmm. you know stereotypes. But then they were not interested in like any of the, it was almost just like like I don't it was almost like some weird like loyalty test like like we like right right wink wink nudge nudge course, you know man. like and then we get into like the the fantasy of what we're all aspiring to uh yeah it's a uh, it was it was, it was yeah. disturbing to watch this rewatch this twenty years later yeah I was just gonna say that we just escaped what se- what seemed like a ten year but maybe it's only been five years but it seems like ten like a ten year deluge of eighties nostalgia. And everybody, there couldn't be enough '80s nostalgia, right? We're still dealing with like the after effects of this craze, right? Even with like Stranger Things, like everything '80s nostalgia. Oh, the well, the kids played these games in in the '80s, and people dressed like this in the '80s, and the music was like this in the '80s. And everybody, you know, you, wherever you stand on the '80s, you could be kind of into it, or all in, or roll your eyes, or whatever. But the entire '80s craze, I'm so happy that we are just, you know, moving to '90s nostalgia because. Every time, like the '80s, people just want to pinpoint the like four great things. But this movie, really, in my head, is just like this is what all the movies were like in the '80s. Like the Ferris Bueller Days Off, like those kinds of comedies. They're they're the exception. They're brilliant. You know, the Ghostbusters. There's like six good movies from the decade. It was just a lot of this. So just the whole entire '80s nostalgia era i'm so glad to be moving on from because these comedies the baseline isn't like good faith this isn't like blazing saddles where you can talk about you know the words that they use and the racism of it or whatever if you have problems with blazing saddles you know there's an interesting conversation to be had but it's based on a good faith like you can trust it as a baseline comedy that mel brooks is a good guy who loves comedy and is trying to make you laugh who's working with you know richard pryor and the great people to put together this great film and there's like a baseline of trust right so we can talk now about oh the the oh that was bad or this was bad or this was not bad or whatever but in this movie we're kind of listing out these things that rub us the wrong way because this movie does not enter any of these conversations in good faith and I find that so much of the output of the 80s comedy there's no baseline for me to trust so I can enjoy the jokes Mm -hmm. this this movie never got me on its side like so many 80s comedies don't I don't trust you and then I can't laugh 
Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's a movie that feels like it was like financed by a bank. It like feels like you, you could almost at the end of this movie like zoom out and it was like it's like the training video for some company. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's because it's it is just selling you like we've said, selling you such like a dream of of uh, just eighties you know yeah. materialism. Not for us. Excess. No, not, not for us. us. Not for not us. Not for us. Uh, let's move on to a, a movie. That Before I, think, I go, and one thing. Please, you yes, know what the yes. secret of his success was? No, Tom, what was it? He worked 25 hours a day. <laughs> it's in the opening song. I missed that. The secret oh, of my success. I worked 25 hours a day. <laughs> it's like, that's a terrible message. <laughs> is, that, is that in the lyrics? Yeah. 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 That's the song's wild. Oh, okay. Uh, the, uh, actually, yeah, real quick. We do always say things that we did like about the movie. I wanted to shout out uh, Margaret Witten as v- Aunt Vera. I thought Ooh. was doing her best. She was a lot she of tried. fun. Uh, she, she did good. The, the movie stinks. Yeah. She was she like fine. getting as much as she could out of the dialogue. I yeah. thought uh, she was a lot of fun. I thought Jean, Jean, the secretary, killed both her lines. They were they both were pro- they were both maybe the funniest. Jean was fun. She was yeah. just like flustered, and yeah. that was approximated yeah. human emotion in that scenario. That uh, good. You know who I liked? Who'd you like? Who'd you like Tom? Um, which is a reference to he. There's an actor in this movie who deals with ringing. Who twenty something years later would be speechless in a wheelchair? Oh, that's right, ringing a bell. He was in last oh week's film gosh. as well. Yes, he was in last week's film as well. Hector Salamanca. Hector Salamanca was in the film. He's fixing the elevator. He's the elevator repairman, and yeah. he has to deal with the ding, ding, and yeah. all I could think was <gasps> oh he'd be God, ringing Tom. bells later. Wow. Oh my God. I wonder so. if anybody in any like interviews for Breaking Bad kind of brought that up. In some sort of, um, did, did you ever think you'd be ringing bells this much, yeah. Hector? You know, his name's not Hector Salamanca. He, no, I he's like Nick name. something. Yeah. Yeah, I forget. One second, Mark Margolis. Yes, Mark, Mark Margolis. Two yeah. two weeks. Yeah, two weeks in a row with Mark Margolis. I hope, I hope he's in next week's. I was very happy mm-hmm. to see him. That was one part of the movie where I sat up yeah. and was like, "Oh, a yeah. person I like." So, all right, well, let's move on to The Sweet Smell of Success from 1957. Um, most of the art house movies we've looked at uh, have been auteur movies. This is one of the great, they always say this about The Third Man. I think this qualifies as well. This is one of the, one of the great collaborative movies of all time. Uh, when you're watching those opening credits, it's just like one heavy hitter after another. It's truly amazing. Uh, written by uh, uh, Clifford Odets and Ernest Lehman, which is an incredible Shout pairing. Uh, Clifford Odets, of course, famous playwright. And then Ernest Lehman, incredible screenwriter wrote north by northwest west side story sweet smell of success so you have these two powerhouses um i didn't really uh, read too much about it but I, I would be fascinated to know how they kind of work together on this i know it's, it's based on an ernest lehman uh novella uh so he probably came in with the source material and then odette's you know kind of maybe punched up some stuff but uh those two work together in the screenplay uh the the dp james wong howe who was just legendary uh, cinematographer uh, worked on on the Thin Man, Yankee Doodle Dandy, HUD. I mean, this guy worked like thirty you know years in Hollywood, just on so many big movies. Uh, and then directed by Alexander McKendrick, who came up in the Ealing Studio System in England and worked on a lot of the Alec Guinness comedies, Lady Killers, Man in the White Suit. Uh, and then starring uh, two of the kind of icons of of late forties, fifties Hollywood, Burt Lancaster and Tony Curtis. Uh, man, what a, what a group, what a crew. Um, 
Tom, what was uh, what were your uh, this last screening at at uh, New Beverly? I'm so jealous. That's such a great way to watch it. Uh, what were some takeaways from your most recent viewing of this movie? Um, well, first of all, just seeing it on a screen because it is just one of the most beautiful movies. It's it's black and white and it's just shot so it's so ominous and so dirty and you feel the smoke the steam from the street all of that stuff really worked uh like cinematically getting to see that seeing it with an audience was exciting because there were clearly a lot of people who had not seen the movie before and people were gasping straight up gasping at the horror of the two main characters how low they go at different spots people audibly gasped when uh, Tony Curtis sells out the cigarette girl, and Ooh. when Burt Lancaster is with uh, with his sister at the end, and is willing to just frame uh, uh, Sydney, just like people were That's awesome. really into it, and it was kind of exciting to That's hear great. and to hear people laugh at moments in it, like to hear people laugh at those lines, like. Like you're a cookie filled with arsenic. Yeah. People laughed at that. People laughed at uh, cats in the bag, the bags in the river. Mm, yeah, like those lines that have always just I th- have thought were amazing. People laughed at. I love this dirty, uh, dirty old town. What is it? Yeah, I love this. Uh, I love uh, this city or dirty old. Town? I can't remember. Yeah. I'm getting it's, it wrong. It's I love this dirty. dirty I love this dirty town. I love this dirty town. People yeah. laughed at that. Like, it played. So it just it play, played. It played from yeah. beginning yeah. to end. Yeah, it really does. Hundred totally percent. Yeah, and that scene. That scene at the end. Where JJ, uh, it's revealed that he had planted, uh, or that he was behind framing, um, his his sister's boyfriend, mm-hmm. uh, because one of the sorry, Joe, real quick, let's do your sixty second oh, uh, review, so of we, course everybody knows kind of what we're talking about here. Uh, in sixty seconds or less, please recap the plot of Sweet Smell of Success starting now. Tony Curtis, Hollywood's golden boy, goes bad in Sweet Smell of Success, where he plays a. Uh, like a, a conniving young press agent who is kind of down on his luck and is trying to find a good story to get to get in the papers, can't really put too much together. But he gets a new job from one of the biggest paper men in town, played by Burt Lancaster, who's go who says, hey, if you break up my sister and the her boyfriend, Dallas, who's a musician who I hate, if you can break them up, then you're gravy in my book and you'll hit a big payday. And who knows what other gifts will be up my sleeve. This leads into a just a treacherous um sort of 20 seconds. Uh, disgusting spiral where Tony Curtis and Burt Lancaster kind of play off of each other as they take uh their Burt's sister's life and throws it down the tubes. Uh it's got it's got smoke, it's got newspapers, it's got backstabbing, it's got betrayal. Uh it's a it's a noir. It's oh no deaths. It's great. Time. Great summary. Thank you so much, Joe. Uh but Tom, what you said about that final scene with J.J. Hunsecker where he is, it's revealed that he had uh, essentially framed his uh, sister's boyfriend. He's trying to break them up, which in is front of the sister, the in front of the sister. She finally hears it for the first time. And she had just tried to kill herself. She just yeah. tried to jump off the roof of their of their building. Uh, he says to her, and this struck me so much in this viewing, he says to her, just like we know you didn't just try to kill yourself. Uh, you can trust that I didn't do this. Mm-hmm. And he's telling that to her knowing that knowing that 
everybody knows she just tried to kill himself. He's literally rewriting reality in front of everybody and yeah. saying, like, we're not, we don't do reality. No, we do my he's, version he's of it. He's powerful enough to bend reality, or at least he believes he, he has been, he's been trained to think he can shape reality. Yeah. And Tony Curtis, to a lesser degree, when these guys are planting either they're hyping somebody in a positive way in the columns in the papers or they're slandering and smearing and ruining somebody. They're just used to believing they control reality and yep. it gets away from both of them in the end. And they both realize that they both just lose. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that the game of this movie is so interesting too, because usually in a game, like in a movie like this where there's like, uh, you know, people are conning each other and there's lies in this, there's some degree of like illusion where people don't know each other's motives. I feel like from the very first moment it's established that everybody knows that everybody else is rotten. Yeah. And so it's like a different kind of game where you're just, you're trying to get what you can, but nobody has any illusions about, I guess maybe the sister and her boyfriend are kind of the most idealistic, but even them from the very, from the very first scene, uh, Steve Dallas, the jazz, uh, the jazz musician, uh, calls Falco like he calls Falco out. He knows who Fal everybody mm -hmm. knows who everybody else is, but everybody still needs stuff. So it's just this game of like, of like, how much can I trust this untrustworthy person, or how much can I leverage them to get something else? But nobody has any illusions that the fa about the fact that everyone is rotten to the core in this movie. Because the sister is ostensibly pure, but under the thumb of her older brother, who has this weird obsession with holding on to his sister's purity and keeping her for himself not in in an incestual way but in a in a, in a controlling yeah. way yeah 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 and the her love interest is also seems to be relatively pure in the fact that he's doing these things and he is what he says like when he says something he's saying this is my truth and it is the truth Everybody else is just lying outright yeah. all the time. And they'll lie and then they'll tell a different lie as if they just didn't lie about something 30 seconds. They'll just – it's what's the next lie. And then these two ma do manage to – the sister says, I don't care how rich my brother is basically. Um, I this, this is killing me. I need to go – I need to escape my brother, because it turns out he was a monster the whole time. Even if she kind of knew it, yeah. she had now had proof. Yeah. And the two of them kind of escape this this uh, this thing where every other character is kind of like damned in a way. They are like the damned. Yeah. They are all doomed to play out the string and eventually, because like power is such a a, a temporal transit transitory thing, temporary thing. They're all holding on to the power for as long as they can hold on to it and get as much of it for, but it always, power always runs out on people, especially this brand of power. Yeah. And it's so accentuated. I had also forgotten that this movie is basically in real time. I mean, it's basically over the course mm -hmm. of one night. And I think that accentuates that, like, I mean, f entire like fortunes rise and fall in the course mm -hmm. of just one night. I mean, we're never, re we're not in daylight until the very end of the movie, but most of this movie takes place in darkness in New York. And the entire, I mean, such a, there's such character arc and scope within just this very limited time frame and these limited locations. Uh, but the movie's yeah. also great in the sense that despite these guys and everybody's own personal rises and falls can happen on the, on the, the, 
at any time, there's no indication that tomorrow night won't be exactly the same where something devious, lecherous, like this is baked into the cobblestones, this sort of conniving, lying work around the selfishness. Um, And that's why the movie is so dynamic and amazing. Not only the incredible performances, which I love, and I want to talk about Burt Lancaster in particular, who I found to be treacherous and scary and brilliant Mm -hmm. in this film. But this, unlike The Secret of My Success, which they shot in Manhattan, I just learned, and you would, Manhattan could be anything. Manhattan could be something we could shoot right across the street at Universal. An office park in Marina Del Rey. It just looks like a bunch of rooms or whatever. This Sweet Smell of Success, um, indelibly put a stamp on what New York is and what it feels like. And it was one of those movies where even though New York was painted, it was so gross and scary and seedy. It did make me miss it a little bit, Tom. Absolutely. It no, sure it, did. It you know? really, it, me too. It brings up a certain, there's a certain constant energy to New York that, you know, having lived in Los Angeles for the last couple of years, I realize the, the the obvious cliche of the city that never sleeps and stuff, but it is true. It does. It's just like other like Los Angeles shuts down. Yeah, we all go to bed and, at ten p.m. But this place is like these are night these are night creatures. It opens with him having like a donut and a coffee at you know ten p.m. at night. Yeah, you know, uh, standing there waiting for the first edition to yeah. come out. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Or, or at least it feels really dark. You know, mm-hmm. in that first edition. Let's look at that out. first appearance of J.J. Hunsecker. Let's go to nineteen fifty-five. Uh, so Sidney Falco, the Tony Curtis character, is going to go seek out Hunsecker. Um, he always he's Hunsecker is is the sort of master of his universe, at least uh, from from where we start in this movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sidney Falco is always trying to seek favor with him, trying to uh, get in his column, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and this is, he's going to go uh, seek him out at one of his favorite restaurant spots. Yeah, we can play it here. Hello? JJ, it's Sidney. Uh, c- could you come out for a minute? Could I come out? No. I have to talk to you, JJ, that's why. You had to do something for me, you didn't do it. Could I come in for a minute? Dead son, get yourself buried. <laughs> <Devastating>. <laughs> I want to say that work tomorrow. God, I don't know the context, but I would love to I'm talk to somebody like that I'm once. Saying it to, I'm saying it to someone. Yeah. Dead son, get yourself buried. Get yourself buried. Yes, and they were so confident in it. Yeah. This is another is great, and like Tony, Tony Curtis, like yeah, Tony Curtis, like equally confidently just ignores it because he's yeah. hear, he hears the shit every day. Yeah, right. yeah. I he's mean, a, he's a little rat. Yeah. It's so funny. It's like. You'd think Burt Lancaster was 10 feet tall in the snow. And those glasses. Yeah, I've never seen a, di- like, like, someone sort of dressed, they dress him sort of bookishly. Yeah. And yet it does not even remotely hide his physicality. If anything, it accentuates. It's like as if Frankenstein's wearing a coat and tie. Yes, yeah. Yeah. It like actually makes him more menacing yeah. because he's he's acceptably he's like societally acceptable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you can just feel the like the power lurking under that outfit. It's terrifying. Why don't you your name, young man? Sidney Falco, sir. But everybody knows and admires you, Senator Walker. Yeah, I feel like Lancaster and Kurt Russell in this era are really like. That was just a new type of performance on film. It's just those guys' physicality and just their like. There's always something terrifying Davis. about them. Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas. Sorry, it's a Kurt Russell. Was it the computer wore tennis yeah. shoes? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Billy. Shoot. 
But they had to create roles like this for those guys because they didn't, they couldn't slot into the like Clark Gable, Jimmy Stewart roles from the previous generation. They had to create these sort of physical, dark, anti-hero sort of roles for them. I mean, the way this is framed, Tony Curtis looks like he's half the size of Bill Lancaster, and he's sitting two feet away from him. Do you believe in capital? I mean, that's in unbelievable. Man has just been sentenced to death. Burt Lancaster's hands on the table look enormous. Yeah. Manny, tell me. He's so controlled. What exactly are the unseen gifts of this lovely young thing that you manage? Well, she sings a little. You know, she sings. Manny's and... faith in me is simply awe-inspiring, Mr. Hunsaker. Actually, I'm still studying. What subject? Singing, of course. Straight concert. And... Well, why, of course. You might, for instance, be studying politics. Uh, me? What the CJJ uh, I mean, I? You must be kidding, Mr. Hunsicker. Me with my Jersey City brains. The brains may be Jersey City, but the clothes are trained in the rail. Are you an actor, Mr. Falco? That's what I was thinking. Are you, Mr. Falco? Well, how did you guess it, Miss James? He's so pretty, that's how. Mr. Falco, let it be said at once. There's a man of 40 faces, not one. None too pretty, and all deceptive. You see that grin? That's the, uh, that's the charming street urchin face. It's part of his helpless act. He throws himself upon your mercy. He's got a half dozen faces for the ladies. But the one I like, the really cute one, is the quick, dependable chap. Nothing he won't do for you in a pinch. So he says. Man, Lancaster is pragmatic. Ouch. I Mr. feel Falco, like whom I did not invite uh, Brian, to you can this stop table right there. tonight. Is a hungry pr- Thanks. Um I feel like maybe Lancaster's ultimate Achilles heel is that he's he's kind of a sadist. Like he's sort of like he's very pragmatic in the way he plays people off of each other and the way he sort of maintains his power, but he he likes he really likes watching people squirm. There is something yeah. like truly like cruel fundamentally about him. And I feel like that's what ultimately becomes his downfall is that he's a it's his he he likes I think some people just like become this because they have to to get by. He really likes digging the knife in and oh. really like watching people squirm. He's he's understood in the in, in the world of the columnists in this movie. He's understood to be just Ruth. He'll yeah. run blind items. And there's other columnists who say, like, I don't trade in blind items mm-hmm. and there's a moment when a really kind of just in insane moment when tony curtis tries to <laughs> basically blackmail a, a lesser columnist into uh doing what he wants because yeah. he's in front of the guy's wife and he's trying to say like well it would be he's trying to imply like well it'd be a real shame if your wife found out about you cheating and then this guy actually, for the first, like the wife says, for the first time, you this is the first time you've been. I forget how she phrased. Like I respect you for the yeah, first time. exactly. Yeah, and yeah, he yeah. just says like I had a thing with this with the cigarette girl, and it was stupid, and like, but that's just the level that they are all trading yeah. in. But there are even there are even layers set, and like the bottom, these two guys are at the bottom of the bottom. That's yeah. And a lot of do you know who? This character is lo- like somewhat based on. No, I don't know. Um, not literally with this stuff, but yeah. like this is what Ed Sullivan was like in the fifties. Really? He was a columnist. Oh my god! Who had a radio show before the Ed Sullivan show? Oh my god! He was a New York 
Correct, and I'm I'm not a hundred percent. I remember I, I was obsessed with this movie at different points in my life. I've read a lot about it. I might just to qualify, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I did not brush up on it before this, but that was Ed Sullivan's career was an East Coast guy who wow. was a columnist and then had the radio show, then gets the TV show because that was the burgeoning medium, and then that brings you out west. Wow! And then you kind of leave behind your your brutal East Coast ways to just be this because by the time Ed Sullivan comes to do the Ed Sullivan show, he's like old or older, yeah. but he started off as a hungry was dude he, to get to the top of to get to where he got he to was be a piece Ed of Sullivan. Shit about it. He was like a I don't know, but I mean do I don't want to like literally look I don't well, want Ed Sullivan's grandson no, fighting no, me no, look, neither do over this. <laughs> Hey, we can, we'll in. take all the publicity we can get. I'll take it. Jared Sullivan. You t- heard you talk about my grandfather. I'm going to have to fight Tyler Sullivan. Tyler Sullivan. Yeah. Sullivan. The Sullivan Estate V Weekend yeah. Bergman's. Yeah. I can't wait. It's no, fun. but it was just like there was right such in. a culture where it was ruthless. And yeah. Ed Sullivan was one of the big players because it's a multimedia thing. And it's yeah. it's kind of interesting to think that like. That was they. These guys took advantage of every aspect of media and were famous in multiple platforms. It's so cool because like vaudeville and TV are only what 20, 15 years, twenty years apart. Like they went Separated, through yeah. so sure, yeah. many different opportunities, mm-hmm. radio, all that stuff. And these guys did all this. And this is what Burt Lancaster's character is based on, right? Yeah, and um, and well, it's funny too because there's a character because yeah, Burt Lancaster's character. I mean, the character itself is so relatable and like you know is is just as relevant now as it was then. But like his actual job is such a relic of like this like this like you know theater critic in the newspaper who does and certainly there's modern parallels but that specific job seems like such a relic but then you think yeah. like there's a character in all about eve the george sanders character addison dewitt who's basically the same character he's like a theater critic who like yeah. lords power over people mm-hmm. so it was almost like briefly a, an archetype or a trope this like theater critic who who like had to like you had to curry favor with so and, he's like, just the theater critic in this because he's behaving like William Randolph Hearst he well, like I think yeah. the it's more of a it's expanded into a gossip column but he's, it was like, like, he's mm. like a big sort of glossy yes column. he's I mean you look at it at this point that was just a politician he was sitting down with a senator yeah he's running real business now like nice. he's actually has his hands in politics is what they're saying with yeah. this is how powerful this guy is that he can he could make or break a politician. Mm-hmm. Well, so Hearst is a great example because was it Par- Luella Parsons or Hedda Hopper was Hearst's like one of those two was those were the two mm-hmm. like yes. big, right? and one of those was like Hearst's like, was, like and Hearst is like uh, like attack dog attack dog essentially yeah, yeah. and um, uh, and it's a thing it's a profession where like I think it's, it was all centered around culture and entertainment and theater and movies but like would very quickly based on who you were working with could very quickly veer into politics or this you were just in the in the gossip business essentially and mm-hmm. like that sort of mostly i feel like centers in entertainment but then obviously can like drift into other areas but but that person was a powerful and again there yeah. are of course i mean like TMZ whatever there's like very equivalent things you know gawker whatever um What's the, it's someone, it's someone yeah. that he said he has an audience of 60 million. It's someone who's mm-hmm. 60 million people yeah. read and trust. So if he's like, this guy stinks or this guy's good, that can really make her. That's the you. different thing. Yes. Like, it was like personalities, million, like singular yeah. personalities right. that you that you could pinpoint um, that had just like incredibly uh, disproportionate amounts of power. Yeah. Um, 
let's go to that scene that caused people to gasp in the new Beverly. This is 3905. Um, oh, this scene's so scary and good. This is, uh, and this will be the final scene we look at. Uh, this is Barbara Nichols. This movie's uh, scary. This movie's so good. Yeah. All of the scenes, and it's so well written. I mean, it makes sense, you know, once you know who wrote it. But that scene, this scene is well written. The scene when Tony Curtis and Burt Lancaster meet up with this, the sister in Dallas in the theater and they're all sort of they're just lying out their ass and the other the other two are just like telling the truth out their ass and yeah. how they twist it and turn it and 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 make allies and like destroy allies like yep. in, in three sentences it's just so exciting to watch the dialogue as everybody's status can rise and fall and rise and fall in different scenes with every passing line what people yeah. the leverage that's being passed around the what sort of power people have over each other yeah i don't and know this how... scene is it's probably that in its most depraved mm-hmm. uh instance they do yeah. that thing where it's like they yeah like the because this line's the, the movie's very quippy. It's doing like lots of little like individual lines that are infinitely quotable. They're lots really of quotable cool. lines. They're good. But then it also never loses. Each scene has such a tight structure and like the. Uh. So I feel like sometimes when you get into that like quippy, we're we're like writing like lines. The scene can kind of get away from you a little bit. This movie is like so tight at the same time that it has like literally fifty quotable it's lines. So yeah, it's 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 unreal. Uh, so let's watch this final scene and then we'll then we'll wrap up. And this is a uh, Rita who works as a cigarette girl in a local bar. And, who, who previously we saw him, you know, a version of standing up for. And we thought he might have like a shred. Well, he he uses her to try to get a guy, but you know, ostensibly he's trying to, well, not really, but kind of help her out. It seems well, like that, it seems like they're kind of friends. Well, she and now he's about to. They definitely abuse like. Them. They, they definitely like hook up, and she thinks he's coming to hook up. Uh, but he has brought another guy who he's going to try to pawn her off on in order to get. She she trusts him and he's about to ruin that. That's it. A younger Larry Tate from Bewitched. Hello. My friends call me Otis. He's good. They're all really good in this scene. This whole movie's full of great actors. Yeah, and Rita's played by Barbara Nichols, who's just absolutely fantastic in this. Don't I know you from somewhere? Otis? Saratoga. Last summer? Relax, relax. Come on, take the weight off those lovely games, huh? I think she knows. She immediately knows what's happening. What else is she doing But they still, like, have to play the game and the theater of it all. When you look at me, you look at a friend in disguise. Miami Beach. Haven't been to Florida since I was a little girl. (laughs) Well, here's to the time when we played with dolls and uh, dreamed of... Better things. Here, Otis. Wow, what a cozy place you've got here, Sydney. Yeah, Make yourself at home. Now it is nice, such a nice, dark, cynical movie. Snug. Otis carries a lot of weight with your boss, honey. He's going to tell him not to pay any attention to anything you know who says about you know what. Right, Otis? Right. And now this is Don Holloway. Brought uh, why don't you two talk it over until uh, until I get back? Back? Yes, you know these business meetings. Are you always coming up in the middle of the night? That's the thing. Is like she knows Hold that's a lie. Hold on. Yeah, you can drop me off on your yeah. way. Yeah. So now he is going to go in there and he's going to convince her now, Otis, to do this. I hate JJ, but not that much at this moment. Look, give me a chance, huh? Give me a chance. 
Now watch, watch him work. Watch him be a disgusting little snake. Don't you know who that man is? Yeah. Otis Elwell, the columnist. Yeah. And he's a perfect stranger to me. So take five minutes. Get acquainted. He's an important man. He's lonely. Don't be dumb. What do you want all of a sudden? Lady Cadiver? Where's my other shoe? What kind of an act is this? Don't you think I have any feelings? What am I? A bowl of fruit? A tangerine that peels in a minute? I beg your pardon. How do you like this? I turned myself inside out to do you a favor, now I'm the heavy. Here's your shoe. There's your coat. And there's the door. Sydney, I don't do this sort of thing. What sort of thing? This sort of thing. You need him for a favor, don't you? Well, so do I. I need his column tonight. Didn't you ask me to do something about your job? Don't you have a kid in military school? You're a snake, Falco. You're a louse. A real louse. Honey, he's going to help you. Yeah, Brian, we can stop it there. Rotten, sat, you know. Just some Falco duplicity. It's a world in which, like, you can't you can't be alone because then you won't get anywhere. You won't get anything. You need other people to get places, but but no one, everyone, like, the only way to interact with people is is by fucking each other over. Mm-hmm. And so it's just this, like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Everyone is just trapped in this in this just nightmare doggy dog world where. Like, because that's the only reason she stays is she knows she can't lose this connection and what it might bring in other ways, or that she needs this relationship between her and Falco to, 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 um, to survive in New York. But the cost of it, the way that he presents it, is just is just devastating. He's so good in this. He's it's, great. He's a scoundrel, man. <laughs> yeah. He'll later go on to disown all five of his children. Do you know that, Tom? The Tony Curtis did? Yeah. I did not know that. He goes on to disown all five of his children and not wrote them out of the will like mm-hmm. a year before he died, including uh, Jamie Jamie Lynn and including a daughter whose name is Allegra. You know, which, you know yeah. I don't know who she is, but, you know, he had Allegra Curtis got written out of the Jamie will. Jamie Lee. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. Jamie yeah, Lee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's Jamie Lynn? Uh, Britney Spears. <laughs> Britney Spears' yeah, sister. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's not in the will either. This, um, uh, well, but anyway, Curtis is yeah. great. So yeah. the movie, it doesn't show any glitz and glam. It shows none of the, what they get for all of this mm-hmm. debauchery, what all this sin, we don't see the fruits of their sin, the full labor. Mm-hmm. But Tom, what is, what about the film? When you leave, one of the thoughts in your head is, man, I kind of want to go back to New York. What, when I watched it, I was like, oh man, next time I'm in New York. Can't wait. I'm going to drink coffee on the street at 10 p.m. I think that's just what it. What is it? I yeah. think it's just that, that it's there's a, a hundred things going on and you get to take your pick of which ones you want to do. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's to go to the Tony, the point of Tony Curtis and to Burt Lancaster, who um, like they're both big movie stars at this point. Yeah. And they take this take on this movie that. They're just not – it's so unflattered. Both of these characters are just monsters and it's such a such a uh, 
like an actor's turn for somebody who, like Tony Curtis, was just a like yeah. pretty boy, yeah. and now he's getting to do something where he's a he's not just going from movie leading man role to leading man role. It's like these are characters, character work mm-hmm. they're doing, um, and. They're they're both going against Typer. Lancaster is in a suit the whole time and moves very deliberately yeah. and never not punching anybody out in it or getting in. There's no action scenes in the whole movie for either of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're just doing a it's like a stage play mm-hmm. as a movie. And it's just amazing to see them both yeah. both kind of lean into these characters as hard as you can because they are just they they really bring them to life and it's just it's one of those this is one of those movies where it's a perfect storm confluence of everything working at the same time like yeah. it all works it looks great the dialogue is great the story is interesting yeah, the attitude is shocking to have this cuz it's like we always think things in the 50s are a certain way right. and you see this is like right dead in the middle of the 50s 1957 and this is one of the most cynical movies I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. It's not like uh, Happy Days or or any like that. Yeah. Uh, that's a million miles away from what this movie's about. Yeah, yeah it's really it's just you, I kind of can't believe the movie exists. It's yeah, when it, it's that way. It feels like a miracle of a movie, and it feels like it's we're right around. Speaking of like that, you know, it, it feels like a movie that does blend theater and film together. It feels like we're right around the corner from that like Elia Kazan era of kind of like well, yeah, right? Clifford Odets, you know, yeah. was in the group theater with exactly. Elliot Kazan, yes. and they all trained under Stanislavski. Yeah, and you know, Meisner was there, and Strasberg was there, and all them, and they were all boys. So El- Elliot and Clifford Odets and everybody hanging out at this time, they would have shared all this experience together. So that makes all all, all the sense in the world, and also that whole like the method was hot right now in acting. It was all coming from the group in New York. And when Bert and um, Tony Curtis probably had the opportunity to be like, oh, fuck, finally, I get to do some acting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were really ready to chew that up. And when this movie screened in L.A., when they first bring it out, everyone was like, no, 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 please have Bert do his thing. Please have Tony, T- Tony Curtis do his thing. It wasn't this an immediate not, hit. Like, it wasn't like an immediate I, critical hit. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. apparently they screened it in New York. Yeah. And everybody fucking loved it, yeah, because they fucking got yeah, it. Yeah, because mm-hmm. this is that era where they'd like seen this kind of acting, yeah. and they'd seen the fucking city, and they knew how true this yeah. rang. And yeah. they, you know, New York's just a more you know, it's all yeah. it's tales old time. Yeah, they made oh, good choice. And the other person that I should have said, Walter Winchell, is the other yeah. columnist who yeah. was a big yes. player who was cited as a, a, a influ- uh, like okay. a influence cool. on the character. Yeah, Amazing who movie. Ed Sullivan took over for, if I remember what? correctly. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Winchell. Yeah, and this is like, um, too. This is such a this, this period is so interesting to me in film, and, the, and we'll, we'll wrap up after this. But this is uh, this period in the fifties where, because uh, obviously, yeah, the fifties you think of it as Eisenhower and Leave It to Beaver and all this, but the movies of this era are so interesting because the studio system has kind of collapsed at this point. There were like different anti-monopoly and antitrust things that kind of brought down all the old studio systems. Uh, but you haven't got into New Hollywood yet. You haven't got into like mm-hmm. just the full on like you know, kind of transgressive, progressive cinema of the 60s. And so you have all these in-between movies that that I think play, a lot of these play better than some of the like new Hollywood stuff now that seems Absolutely. a little dated where, where something about like, there's a lingering structure of golden age Hollywood here, but then there's this like, the, the the dialogue and the content is allowed to be so much darker and more cynical than uh, those movies. So that combination of this sort of, this sort of familiar genre, I mean, this movie's short, it's fast, um, 
it's you know has a couple locations it has recognizable actors but man yeah like like we've said they're all doing some they're all going to to a very dark place here that really just just makes this movie absolutely timeless uh so i think we've any final words? Good. Okay. Tom, thank you so much for hanging out with oh, us. Thanks I know for this, was a, this was a marathon. So thank, thank you, you so Tom. much. We really appreciate this. Sincerely. This thank you. Exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, 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 the best first guest we could have hoped for. Uh, this oh. was such a fun pairing. Uh, I don't think there's any mystery. Oh, sorry. Uh, right. no. Yes, but we will. Uh, if there's no objections, we're no. putting Secret of My Success at the bottom of the trash can. Yeah. It's, it's at the bottom. Um, you join. Uh, she's out of my league. Uh, there's I think w- she's out of my league might be yeah. worse. I don't know. She's out of my league. But only like by, by a fraction. And the red shoes. <laughs> you look in the garbage <laughs> yeah. can, you, you see the red this, shoes is in toss there. Toss it in there. No, the red, no, shoe, red shoes. Oh, no. Red, Red Shoes is in made the can. The Showgirls is in the oh, trash Showgirls can. is in trash By the so mercy of our listeners. Throw it in there with Seven yeah. Seals and Showgirls. Seals. Okay. And yeah. We're well, going to have to do an Inferno thing where there's like circles of hell because... No, we won't. Oh, <sighs> fine. I would love to do yeah. that. Why did I say no? Why not, I, I just right? want to I I make sure that we... I'd, every week we really want to like mm-hmm. break up the trash cannon, but I think we have to stay with we we have to stay true. We can put it in tears, yeah. but if it's in that trash mm-hmm. cannon, Brett, you're not watching it. No. Yeah, no, no, I'm definitely okay, not. Right, yes, yeah, yeah. We, t- we can tear it up. That's fine. Uh, so, secret my success. You're in the trash cannon. Uh, sweet smell of success. Welcome to the cannon. Absolutely. Um, this was such a blast. Thank you so much, Tom. Um, Thank you. Next week uh, we have another listener cho- uh, listener uh, programmed episode. Uh, two movies about unsupervised kids. We're going to be watching Gummo and Home Alone. Gummo versus Home Alone next week. This one, that one's going to be That's a fun. good one. I have no idea. I have I, no idea. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I will say, spoiler alert, I there was no way I was putting Sweet Smell Success in the in the trash can and kind of going into this week. Even, Even no, matter, no matter what kind of nostalgic spell Secret uh, My Success cast over me, mm-hmm. which it didn't. Uh, that was kind of a, 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 a given, though. Conclusion. But this, this is this is a Gummo Home Alone. I have no idea. True we'll have mystery. to see. We'll have to see. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much uh, for listening. Follow us at Weekend Bergman on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, and we'll see you next week. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.